Hello, listeners. This podcast is hosted by International Idea. In the next minutes, we will help you make sense of what's happening today in democracy worldwide. Hello, everyone. This is a new series of Idea podcast for Legitimult, one of the projects that where we participate in at the International Institute for Democracy and Electoral Assistance. And today, to talk about this EU-funded project on learning lessons from the COVID-19 pandemic so that we can better responses in the future for these and other types of crises, I have three very smart and talented people, which are our partners in, in Legitimult, to discuss this issue today. Um, first, I have Eva Maria Belser. She's Chair of Constitutional Law and co-director of the Institute of Federalism at the University of Freiburg. I then have Francesco Palermo, professor of constitutional law and director of the Institute for Comparative Federalism at OIRAC. And last, certainly not least, Lucia Radici, project manager for Legitimult at OIRAC. And then there's me. This is your host, Miguel Angel Arotaola, senior democracy assessment advisor at International IDEA. And... Welcome, everyone. We are very, very happy to, to have you here and to learn about this project, how it came to be. And we will get that at the end, but most importantly, on why this project matters for us, for citizens, and how we can have better lives and uh, better measures for, for the future. So to introduce our audience to Legitimate, I would like to start by, by asking you, Lucia, What is Legitimate? Can you tell us a little bit about this project? Sure, I can. Um, thank you, Miguel. So uh, Legitimate is a short name of a research project called Legitimate Crisis Governance in Multilevel Systems. It's a research project. It's funded by the European Commission through the Horizon Europe program. And it's implemented by a group of 11 partner institutions Uh, ten are from Europe and one is from Canada, and it is coordinated by the Institute for Comparative Federalism um, in Bolzano, Italy, in collaboration with the Institute of Federalism at the University of Fribourg in Switzerland. The goal of the project is to study how COVID-19 measures put in place by governments have affected our democracies and the rule of law. And it is not just about the main level of government, but researchers um, aims at understanding how these measures play out in our democratic system through uh, the various level of governments from the big international scene down to local governments. Researchers are really diving in, checking out several sets of measures adopted at different levels in different countries all over Europe trying to uh, figure out how uh, these measures had impact. Um, each team involved in the project is taking care of a part of the research. And just to make a few examples, mm -hmm. um, one team is studying how these measures impacted minority rights and human rights in general. Another one is focusing on understanding how much measures affected the economic sustainability of the territory where they have been adopted. Another one, for example, is considering how much the implementation of such measures condition 
the support and trust of the population towards their government, and so on. So all these different uh, points of view and angles. And then, of course, it's not only about desk research. Desk research findings will be complemented also by applied research, mainly consisting of participatory activities aiming at involving citizens in four different countries um, in Europe to gather their opinions regarding the management of the crisis and to make them aware of decision-making processes. Researchers want really to know what regular citizens think about how the crisis was managed and how decisions were made in their own country, region, town, and by doing this, the chance is given also to make sure that citizens understand the whole decision-making process. And then uh, in the end, the research findings will be collected uh, altogether and will become available through different tools, addressing as final beneficiaries, policy and decision-makers. And they will, of course, will be welcome to use such a toolkit as possible support to face any future crisis that might occur. Interesting. We will get to that, the future, in some of the the next questions. But first, I want to go back to the origin or back to basics. How did Legitimate come to be? Uh, how was the project born and the need for this project? Did it happen uh, during the pandemic? It, was it something related to your research, to your personal lives? So maybe you can share a little bit about this, uh, Francesco. Yes, sure. Uh, thank you, Miguel Angel. Uh, that's uh, also a very nice initiative. And uh, we actually really want to uh, make clear why this project matters and why it might have a, an impact on everyday lives of citizens. Uh, so, well, the project uh, was born uh, out of an obvious reason. Of course, we were all coming out uh, from a pandemic. Uh, we were all caught by surprise, not only us as uh, individuals or as researchers, but uh, also the institutions uh, showed to be uh, not sufficiently prepared to uh, tackle an emergency of that proportion, of that magnitude. So um, we were in a way prepared to submit some project ideas being pretty sure that the European Union was going to fund research on that area connected to the pandemic. But then we also thought, well, of course, this will be something uh, on which everyone is going to jump on, of course. Um, the added value of the research, uh, and it proved successful so far, uh, is to collect a group of um, scholars um, related to the area of federalism. Federalism might sound abstract to most of uh, the, the listeners, but it's essentially the division of powers among different levels of government. So the idea of not having all the power concentrated in one level, which is normally the central one. And we have witnessed that uh, in a very, very impressive way during the pandemic, uh, because the decisions have been centralized, um, 
there was no clear rule on how to make decisions involving uh, the different levels, involving the citizens. So the focus was on legitimate. So the first part of the name of the project, legitimate uh, crisis governance. Uh, and so we gathered uh, uh, together um, a group of uh, leading scholars in the field, and they all responded very positively, and we were pretty fast in putting together uh, a proposal that turned out to be successful. So legitimate crisis management stemming from COVID-19. Can you tell us a little bit more about this genesis, uh, Eva Maria? Yes, uh, hello everyone. Uh, When the European Union published a call to a very broad open call, learning from the crisis, learning from what we have just experienced. We started to meet as a group of colleagues and friends, all working on federalism, multi-level governance, and we decided that the decision, the question of who decides what, whether it is there's a local or a regional or a national lockdown and how are things which are so interconnected, coordinated, would really make an interesting research proposal. But from our very uh, early meetings, we had basically among old friends, we soon understood that we needed to expand, that we must be much more interdisciplinary than we were, that it's reaching far beyond constitutional and administrative law. So over time, we included experts on democracy, inclusion, participation, experts on trust, experts working on finances, looking at the financial aspects of the pandemics and the pandemic replies. We included colleagues working on minority rights, vulnerability. We also, as we went on, discovered that there is a lot of expertise on crisis and crisis management, Mm -hmm. which we want to include. And at the last stage of working on on the proposal, we also included experts working on policy making, outreach, dissemination, implementation policies, because that is very much what we want to achieve. Have a scholarly approach, but come up with results which will be shared with institutions on all tiers we look at from the local to the European and that we need to ex- include specialists working in the field from the scratch, even during the developing development phase of the project. So we end up with very um, interesting, diverse groups, partners uh, from all over Europe, specialists of different fields, which have not all of them been working together before. Great, great, great. And I guess that's why idea is part of that equation to to, to connect to the, to the policy side. And I really like that this is a practical project. I, I mean, I know and everyone knows that the, the pandemic had an impact on all these areas, on minority rights, on on trust, on economic sustainability, on the rule of law, on federalism. But, you know, the the pandemic is over, right? The the WHO has declared that it's over. And so why is it still relevant to study COVID-19? Isn't that a thing of the past? Isn't the pandemic over? Uh, Eva Maria, maybe you can tell us a little bit about this. Yeah, technically it's over. But uh, I think it would be a huge mistake to say we have gone through these, in part, 
shocking experiences. At least I have never gone through anything like that in my personal life, where all the constitutional values I'm deeply attached to, like democracy, power sharing, human rights, have been questioned, where there has been broad perception that we cannot play according to the rules. Um, we need to have power concentration. Um, we, we need to analyze what has happened to us, what has happened to Europe, what has happened to, to the globe, and not miss the chance of learning from it. Um, going through the decisions that have been made carefully, analyze their effects on legitimacy, vulnerable people, finances, and just make sure we do it better next time. And the next crisis will come. It will. There will be new pandemics. Every expert will confirm that. But what has also been interesting, while we were preparing and while we are working on the project, that the crisis mode seems to be the new normalcy. While we were still preparing and started to work, there was the Ukraine crisis, raising similar projects, similar questions who decides who sanctions, how do we deal with new migration flows, then the energy crisis hit the climate crisis. Um, I, I definitely of the view that we shouldn't call any political problem a crisis, but the phenomenon that we are under pressure, that our institutions are under pressure, that we face dysfunctionalities, that we seem to be too slow, is a question that I think is extremely important for the 21st century. After all, most of our institutions are old. They are centuries old. They have been developed in a system where globalization has not been the way it is. Technology has been very different. And there is a real interest, theoretical and practical, to see whether our institutions are still up to date or need to be adopted to the situations of governance of this century. I agree. Uh, now you just mentioned something that is particularly interested, uh, interesting. You say that sometimes our responses to the pandemic were slow because of the nature of the crisis and the nature and character of our institutions, uh, which sometimes are deliberative. They need to follow rules. They need to follow procedures. And some leaders around the world, including Europe, uh, took advantage of that to get you know, additional executive powers and to concentrate power in their persons. And I'm thinking about the future that we might be tempted as citizens, as communities, to rely or prefer authoritarian solutions to a future crisis, not only pandemics. And, and that is something that is a little bit concerning. So with that in mind, why is it still relevant to, to study COVID-19, Francesco? Precisely for the reasons you have mentioned. So uh, COVID might be over, but uh, emergencies are not. And uh, being recurrent, it would be foolish to uh, not try to update the institutions uh, and make them uh, stronger when it comes to facing different types of uh, emergencies. Um, Eva Maria 
use the sentence that I like very much. Not every political uh, problem should be called a crisis. Uh, absolutely. The fact is that there is a tension or a, a trend um, to, to make it like that because it's, of course, very convenient. And the risk is that people get used to that uh, people get uh, kind of narcotized to the um, idea of having someone making decisions um, and uh, not having so many uh, obstacles in between. Um, they, they, the focus has always been during the crisis, at least initially, uh, on effectiveness, on an efficient system, on a speed and effective reaction, and every uh, counterbalance uh, that uh, was in between um, has been seen as a, a bureaucratic obstacle or something that uh, makes it uh, less effective to respond. Now, the point we want to highlight is precisely the opposite, is the um, legitimate uh, dimension of it. Uh, a decision is legitimate not only when it is efficient, Deficiency must go hand in hand with respect for the rule of law, for minorities, uh, for pluralism, etc. Uh, and uh, at the same time, of course, this cannot be uh, at entirely at the detriment of effectiveness. So how to combine these things? And uh, if we do not learn from uh, the um, experience, uh, including the mistakes that were made uh, worldwide, uh, in uh, managing the uh, pandemic, we won't be fit to face uh, uh, new crises that are up to come. I, I agree. And, and Francesco, you, you just said the importance about learning from the experience. So my question to you, Eva Maria, is how can we make democracy and our democracies crisis-proof? It was actually quite surprising if not shocking to see how unprepared most countries were um, hit by the crisis or surprised by the by the crisis in my country for instance switzerland um, during the first lockdown the parliament just decided to end the sessions and members of parliament went home to their cantons just handing over to the executive um, and that is the kind of issues we want to tackle. I mean, most countries will have to adopt their laws, um, make sure that their parliaments can debate online, have e-government solutions, um, and that goes not just for democratic deliberation, that goes for the entire system of checks and balances. We, and Francesco has just mentioned it, our project is not called the efficiency of crisis management, but the legitimacy. It is based on the firm belief that power should not be unconstrained, uncontrolled. The learning from history is that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And that is not just a truism during normal times, but also during crisis. So I think parliaments, governments, judiciaries and other institutions like national human rights institutions, electoral commissions, they all have to review their way of operating and find ways to make sure that they can work in under pressure, speed up processes, do it online and to make sure that we still can uphold control systems. 
when things go wrong and when rapid decisions are being needed. Yeah, thank, thank you, Eva Maria. Um, having that same question in mind of, of how making democracy crisis-proof, I wanted to, to ask you, uh, Francesco, and, and start by saying the following. Uh, let's say that another crisis comes to our shores, be it in the form of a virus or a na you know, natural disaster or uh, you know, war, conflict, you name it. It is easy that in these situations of um, uncertainty, fear, despair, uh, people will turn to other people, normally you know, strong men leaders, that propose easy diagnosis and, and easy solutions and say, you know, if you trust every, every ounce of power with me, to my party, to my movement, to myself, I will fix it because I can't be bothered with uh, the courts, the tribunals, I can't be bothered with parliaments or speaking about a federal arrangement. You know, I, I can't be bothered with several levels of, of power, right? So when it comes to that, how can you persuade people to opt for the democratic alternative? I mean, it, it, is, it is very clear that while they promote this, authoritarians are not necessarily better at delivering, uh, exactly because of what you mentioned, Eva Maria, and quoting Lord Acton, because absolute power corrupts absolutely. And that leads to mistakes, that means to arbitrary decisions. But going back to the situation of making democracy uh, crisis-proof, what would you tell the people, or what would be the message to say that you know, democracies are preferred You know, you, you talk about legitimate decision-making. Where I'm in the middle of a crisis, why should I go for this legitimate option and not for another option that promises to deliver quickly? We need to do that, especially because uh, constitutions are a, a complex of norms. And um, it is at odds with uh, a constitution as such to have one person fixing it. It's like building a bridge, right? So we need to have a bridge that stands. Uh, then we might have different designs for that bridge. But in the end, uh, we need to have a complex of uh, forces and counter forces that keeps it, you know, uh, standing, holding. Um, the same is with the constitutions. So um, an easy response might lead the bridge to fall or just not to be built at all. Um, there was a, a, one of the main constitutional thinkers of the past century, Hans Kelsen, once said that democracy is a procedure. So what we need to do is to uh, help the bridge hold, also in the case of earthquakes, uh, by uh, making it procedurally stronger. So we need to have uh, rules that tell how to do things uh, and that constrain the power before the power is exercised. If we wait for the strong person to you know, get rid of all these uh, uh, procedures that uh, might be seen as an obstacle and people might even buy it because it sounds simple, then it's probably too late. We need to do this uh, um, work on uh, keeping the, uh, the bridge working before It is too late. And that's essentially what constitutions are there for. So what we want to do and expect to do is a typical constitutional exercise to bind power uh, 
with rational elements before it gets irrational and to bind it for uh, moments of irrationality, which is the typical case of emergencies. I, I agree. And my next question will be um, after Legitimult and, and the tools and the findings of this project, will we have better bridges? So the question is, what is the expected impact of the project, Lucia? Oh, well, you know, the impact of a research project is always something hard to define because you never know in advance what your research will lead you to in terms of findings. However, we've got this fundamental idea driving our project, as it's been said before, that managing the crisis in a legitimate way is the key to handling tough situations. And it's all about finding the right balance between taking care of the people, ensuring their safety, and also a sort of maintaining social harmony and stability. This is why uh, we imagine the impact of our project to be, so to say, threefold. First off, we are creating a whole new scientific framework. Uh, so think of it as a roadmap for the research community. Mm. We are looking at what happened during this global health crisis from a comparative perspective. Um, so it's like providing research, researchers in the future with a whole new set of information that can guide them through their next research. And next, we will focus on policymakers. So we want to give them a clear picture of what it means to get ready for any kind of crisis. We are calling it a toolkit, but it's more than just a bunch of tools. It's practical, real-world advice based on experiences from all across Europe, because it, this is what we are collecting. Um, ideas and experiences from practitioners and policymakers all over Europe. Um, and we are also collecting these ideas from regular citizens like you and me, we are getting insights from citizens all over Europe about what worked and about what didn't work during the pandemic. And all these experiences and research findings will be collected in this toolkit in form of policy recommendations, guidelines for citizens' involvement, and then trainings, and so on. And that uh, brings us to the third group of beneficiaries impacted by the project which are the citizens themselves. We believe that if people trust uh, that decisions are made in a legitimate way, they are more likely to accept mm, those decisions. It's um, all about building trust in the fact that those decisions are the best possible in that precise moment. By involving citizens in participatory activities and letting their voices be heard, we are making both them and their own policymakers aware of the fact that giving citizens the chance to speak their mind is um, showing them respect and consideration and maybe also gaining new and good ideas. While involving citizens, we are also helping them understand how decisions are made. And well, when people get the whole picture, they are more likely to cooperate and to work together in a positive way. 
So yes, well, I would say this project is not just about digging theories. It's about creating something practical, concrete, that can help everyone uh, dealing with crisis in the best way possible. Thank you. Thank you, Lucia. And talking about this impact, you mentioned tools, you mentioned practical advice, reaching out to policymakers. I want to combine two questions. Could you please, uh, Eva Maria, tell me more about the impact of the project and how is this relevant to the average person? Or in other words, will average citizens, you know, like me, like my neighbors, like my family, see the fruits of this project's findings in, in the near future? How will they see them? Or how will you try to get that across? In many countries including mine, the interest in government and governance is not very high. We think about elections every couple of years, but otherwise just organize our lives. But I think the pandemic has really shown us that governments really matter. Will there be a lockdown in my city? Will uh, Will migrant people, homeless people, people living in elderly homes be consulted? Will they be heard or will they just be victims or objects of decisions being taken elsewhere? So I think the the, the interest of, of uh, citizens is extremely high because we have all seen that we cannot solve such a crisis without government. <laughs> And the way these decisions are made and implemented really has an extremely direct impact on, on all of us. And I am very sure that the same goes for any crisis coming up. We will always be confronted with the question of how do we cooperate? How do we deal with the need to have adopted, flexible solutions matching the situation on the ground and at the same time have coordinated action. We can't take any crisis and show that this will always be the case. If you think of the climate crisis, if we qualify it as a crisis, we will need to have global actions, coordinated actions, consensus, compromises. We will need to have a European framework, but at the end of the day, We will need to isolate buildings locally. We will have to reorganize public traffic in front of our doors. So improving the way our governments operate on different tiers, learn from each other, speak to each other, have information feedback loops from the people all the way up to the European and global tiers is I think really what we need to be fit to confront uh, the challenges of government that we are all confronted with. I, I notice that uh, you, Francesco, every time that Eva Maria talks about potential future crisis and, and preparing for those, you are assenting. So uh, please share with us what you have in mind when you think about future crisis and the impact of, of Legitimate. Well, I'm just thinking the obvious, the fact that we need to be prepared if we do not want to have our democracies going in ruin. And I think that's the reason why uh, this uh, project uh, matters, hopefully, to both decision makers, so politicians or, or administrations, uh, and to the uh, average citizen. 
including people who are not uh, directly involved in making decisions or have the pressure of not being directly involved. Uh, it is important for decision makers because we uh, give a humble, uh, hopefully not so humble, uh, suggestion on how to make things, not what to make, but how to make them. And that's very important. So, for example, the fact that we have federalism into play uh, is relevant. Uh, it's pretty obvious that in a uh, crisis situation, then uh, the government has uh, most of the responsibility. But um, if the power comes uh, from the parliament, which decides democratically that the government uh, should have additional power to handle a certain situation, or if uh, the power comes from uh, the local communities delegating some power to the center, that's all fine. If it comes from a, a unilateral decision by the center or by the holder of power at the center, then it's not uh, it's not fine, that it doesn't work. So we kind of tell how things can be done and what the uh, most effective procedures are. When it comes to the citizens, well, it's um, kind of natural that um, emergencies are the enemy of the constitution uh, and uh, therefore the enemy of citizens because they tend to concentrate power. So it, uh, it is about the protection of individual rights, uh, rights especially of those uh, who are in a vulnerable position. Um, and excluding them, which is what has happened in most of the cases uh, with the COVID pandemic, uh, creates some uh, areas in society that feel excluded, that uh, do not want to participate, that uh, further exclude themselves and uh, create anger and uh, um, demolishes trust. And therefore, uh, in the long term, uh, crisis after crisis, societies collapse. So that's what uh, we want to tell also the individual citizen, be aware of your rights. Of course, I, I couldn't agree more. To wrap this show up, I will ask you, uh, Eva Maria, first, and then Francesco, if in one minute you can say something about this. I, I was thinking while I was listening to you that authoritarian leaders, they, they actually have learned. They've learned that they can use the pandemic, any pandemic, as an excuse to get extraordinary powers. And even after the emergency is gone, keep using that excuse to keep those powers and maybe go against the free media or go against the opposition. And we've seen it from El Salvador to Hungary to, you know, to look at our own uh, neighborhood. So authoritarians have learned so far. Have democracies learned? Uh, or maybe that's the role of legitimate to give democracies a little push and a little wake up. What do you think about this in, in one minute, Eva Maria? Well, yeah, I think it's probably the main motive for us to work on this issue because we all working on democracy and power sharing and power control, we know that power is not naturally shared or constrained. Power has a, a natural tendency to accumulate and those who have it want more they don't want to give it away. So we, we think it's a crucial topic to basically fight back, to say that 
power is too important for all of us to give it into the hands of one person. And if that has happened in our countries, we need to use our constitutional system to fight back, to include people, to include minorities, to include and strengthen the, the judiciary, because uh, we our, our well the our well-being depends on that. Thank you, Francesco. Last words on this. I couldn't agree more, so I can make it much shorter than one minute. Uh, and let's say it's really about the constitutions and make clear. Uh, how vital and crucial they are. Uh, the, the, I know IDEA is very much also involved in that, in trying to uh, make understandable uh, why constitutions matter so much to the people. Because uh, uh, if they do not work, then all the rest cannot unfold. Uh, from the economy to the security, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. If we do not have systems uh, in place that uh, guarantee certain preconditions, so this is one angle of a broader phenomenon, uh, which is the resistance of power to be shared, uh, and we try to give our uh, little contribution in that. I, I agree, and uh, when you mentioned uh, that democracy is a procedure. Uh, just to wrap things up, democracy is, is valuable in itself. It's intrinsically valuable because it matters for living a life of freedom and, and dignity, but also because thanks to this mechanism, every citizen has a voice, and not only through elections every four, three, five years, but we can protest, we can take to the streets, we can send a letter to members of parliament, we can advocate, we can boycott, we can have a podcast, right? And that influences decision-making. Uh, Eva Maria, you were talking about certain minorities or elder citizens in elder homes. Everyone should be considered. And, and democracy is basically the only system that, although it can have some flaws, guarantees that and guarantees accountability from people that are ruling us. And I would say that that, that instrumental value of democracy, which Legitimate is contributing to, is key. So I would like to thank you, Lucia, Eva Maria, and Francesco for, for sharing your time and your insights on Legitimult. And I would like to invite our audience to follow Legitimult on, on Twitter and other social media, as well as our website, to keep learning more about our updates, about those tools that Lucia was telling us about, and basically to have uh, better procedures in place for future crises, because the time is not, it's not about if those crises will happen, it's about when. So thank you very much, everyone. And we will see you in our next episode. Thank you for listening to the Democracy Ideas podcast. Keep following International Idea on social media. We need all of you to participate in constructing better societies. Goodbye.